your Bibles. Take them to the book of Ruth, making our way, continuing our study through the book of Ruth. And I want to speak to you today on this subject, Nearer, Still Nearer. Ruth chapter number 3, we'll pick up reading in verse number 3. Of course, last week, Naomi had said she was going to promise that Ruth would find rest. We looked at rest in peace, resting in Jesus our Lord. But she was going to find rest for her. That meant find her a husband. Why? How? Because Boaz was that kinsman redeemer in verse number 2. And so in verse number 3, uh, or verse number 2, she says, and we didn't really cover it last week, but she knows that Boaz is in the threshing floor. This is the time of year in the harvest when they would spend hours in the threshing floor. It's not a floor. Not only would they take the wheat out of the field in the morning, but in noontime they would begin to thresh the wheat and winnow the wheat and put it together in bags for storage and usage in the home. And so she knew exactly where Boaz would be. He would be in the threshing floor, a part of this ritual. And so in verse number 3, she begins to direct Ruth and what she is to do next. Look at what she says in verse number 3. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down, <coughs> lie down at the end of the heap of corn, she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself and said, Behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Sp uh, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou shalt show, uh, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, insomuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requires, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now, it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, yet him, let him do the kinsman's part, but if he will not do the part of a kinsman unto thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord as, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. Nearer, still nearer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would give us spiritual eyes this morning. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would let, let us look upon this text and not only see the historical count of, of this widowed woman Ruth and, and this, this rightful kinsman, uh, that, that, can, that can take her, that can take on his responsibility. But God, I pray that you would help us to see past that and see the principles of our relationship with the Lord Jesus. To not be satisfied just with, just with graceful droppings in the field and, and handfuls of purpose, but to drive further, to own Jesus in that, in that close relationship that is our right, that is our birthright, it is our, it is our privilege to, to be close to Him. More than just seeking, uh, seeking little handfuls of purpose in a field, but to draw into that intimacy 
of that relationship with the Lord Jesus. Help us to see that this morning. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. You may not readily recognize the title of the message, but it is indeed the title of a hymn. The hymn starts out, Nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart. Draw me, my Savior, so precious thou art. Fold me, oh, fold me. Fold me close to thy breast. Shelter me safe in that haven of rest. These wonderful words are, are, to this hymn were written by a woman named Leela Morris. Leela Morris is, is not all that extraordinary in her life. When you, when you go to look at the history of her life and the, uh, before she wrote this song, she, she came to know the Lord at 10 years old. She was married by 19. Uh, she was a housewife and a mother. She was very active with her husband at church, uh, uh, playing the organ, uh, working in Sunday school, helping revi revival meetings and camp meetings. But in 1892, at a Methodist camp meeting in Ma Mountain Lake Park, uh, Maryland, Leela had a dramatic Pentecost-like experience during that meeting. She thought that such an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus was relegated to just those, those leaders in the church, such as pastors and preachers and evangelists or missionaries. And she had such an intimate experience with the Lord Jesus where He seemed so near that it radically changed her viewpoint of a relationship with the Lord Jesus. It was not long after this experience that she was at a sewing machine. Actually, the story goes, and as she was sewing, uh, she was formulating a, a poem, and, and later it developed into a hymn. Actually, many hymns that she later wrote subsequent to this experience, but the very first one was this, was this, was this uh, hymn, Nearer, Still Nearer. What Leela Morris experienced in a closer, intimate walk with the Lord Jesus is to be claimed by every child of God. Both you and me are welcome to that same close, intimate, daily walk with the Lord Jesus. We too can lean our head on the bosom of Jesus and hear the heartbeat of heaven. You see, every child of God has the opportunity to draw closer and closer to the Lord Jesus in that intimate day-to-day -day relationship. And this opportunity can be taken advantage by following principles, I believe, that are shown in how Ruth drew nearer and nearer to Boaz. There was a dissatisfaction in her relationship, urged on, no doubt, by Naomi. But they were not going to just subsist on, on just handfuls of purpose and gleanings in the field. And, 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 and no doubt, she, she already had his protection. She already had his protection. Remember, Boaz said, hey, don't stay with my young men. Stay with my maidens. Don't go nowhere else. He was already providing for her, already protecting for her. But there was something that was rightfully hers. Naomi knew it. Something that was revealed in God's Word that was Ruth's right to possess. And that is Boaz as her kinsman, Redeemer. Not just gleanings in the field. Not just a word of protection. But that close day-to-day -day fellowship of a marriage to Him. I want us to look at this and draw these principles out from Ruth's relationship or her entry or her Basically, a proposal for marriage to Boaz. So there's a few things I want you to see. First of all, we need to take note of verse number 3 and see a self-preparation for nearness. A self-preparation for nearness. This is not an allegory. This is not a step-by-step. A, a step. Every, uh, every allegory has its faults. These are principles. Principles for us to go by. And I want us to see in this principle, there is a principle of self-preparation for nearness. 
you ever seen them reality TV shows about bridezilla or, or the different brides going to get married? You know, uh, they are meticulous in all the details of the, the wedding. The wedding, uh, what's the person that takes care of the wedding? Uh, uh, huh? Yeah, wedding coordinator. They're just on the wedding coordinator about all these details that leading up. And then the day of the wedding, there's so much makeup and primping and styling and making sure the dress is all foo-foo and, and all the train is in the back and all the everything has to be just so for this wedding. You know, people just don't fall out of bed and put their jeans on and go to a wedding. Most people. Now, now these days, you'll see people do that. But most people, it's a significant event. It's something that they prepare for in advance. You know, there's something about that same principle in a closer, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's not just something that we wake up in the morning and and instantly have it our doorstep. All of a sudden, though, there is an amount of preparation. Listen to this principle as expressed in James in his letter. James 4.8. James says, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Those first steps are ours. Are ours. God's not going to shanghai you and pull you in and smash you up against Jesus. No, the first step is for you and me to draw nigh unto God. You see, it's clear that in order for God, uh, for God to draw nigh to us, we have to take the first step. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. It's impossible for us to take the first step in salvation. We're dead in trespasses to sin, incapable of finding God. And without the agency and the activity of the Holy Spirit, we will never know God. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about salvation. But I am talking about a different relationship, a more intimate, a better walk, a closer walk with the Lord Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you known people that just seem to have that closer walk? It seems as though they, they, they exude that presence of God in their lives. And many people sometimes, you can't tell. Sometimes it's an act, sometimes it's not. But the reality is it's not just for super spiritual people, uh, uh, super people that are of a certain age or a certain uh, a certain uh, uh, kind of way of life or, or it is available to all of us to have that kind of close walk. Ruth had the care of the grace of Boaz. She had his provision. Naomi, his provision for her and Naomi, it would not fail. But that was not enough for Ruth. Ruth wanted more. Ruth wanted what the Word of God had prescribed that was hers. And we'll get into that in a little bit when it comes to that kinsman redeemer. But with this in mind, I want us to notice a few things. Notice first of all in verse number 3. She said, wash yourself therefore. Wash yourself. If we're going to have a closer relationship with the Lord, then we are going to have to Cleanse ourselves from sin. Well, Brother Ronnie, wait a minute. That don't sound right. Doesn't sound right. Only Jesus' blood can cleanse from sin. And I, I get that. Positionally. The blood of Jesus. Verse 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the blood of Jesus, we're to draw nigh to Him. We can have that fellowship one with another by the blood of Jesus. Now, that's true, positionally. But practically, there is a principle of cleansing ourselves from sin. Getting it out. Removing sin from our lives. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7, 1 and see if it does not expressly tell us. This. Look at what it says. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all Filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That is a call for us to be done with sin, to get it out of our lives. Listen to James. Remember I read a minute ago, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Listen to what he goes on to say. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, 
Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Here he is making it clear that in order to draw nigh to God, there is some cleansing that needs to take place. There's some house straightening that needs to be done. And David, David, King David actually asked God to aid in this process. And there's nothing wrong with that. Listen to what he said, Psalms 139, 23-24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. God, look at me. Show me. I guarantee you have an honest, open heart before God. And you pray a dangerous prayer like that. He will answer it. He'll show you. He'll show you more than you want to see. Psalm 32, 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Again, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us. Just the principle we see here. Ruth, take a bath. Cleanse yourself. Make yourself appropriate to come to Him. There's nothing about works-based salvation. I'm not preaching a works-based salvation. Don't get me wrong. We, don't, we are not saved by our, uh, by our cutting away sin, by the purifying of our lives. So many people believe that. So many people believe that by a certain length of hair, a certain length of dress, a certain this, a certain that, that these works will will indicate that salvation, that will bring that salvation apart. No, no, no. That's, that's salvation. I'm talking about something different. I am talking about dealing with the sin in our hearts and lives. I, in our pursuit of God, we cannot walk close to His all-knowing presence with hidden sin in our hearts. May we sing with the words of Charles Tindley, one of my Favorite preachers, nothing between my soul and the Savior. Not of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. I ask you, is there something between you and your Lord? Is there something between? You're not going to get any closer to God until you deal with that sin. Until you cleanse your hands, cleanse your heart. Make things right. Notice it go on. Wash yourself therefore and anoint thee. Verse number 3, it talks about anointing. What she's speaking of here is basically comparable of placing perfume on the body. It would be like their deodorant. Naomi's saying, Ruth, you need to smell good when you come to him. You need to have the right aroma. This was the kind of the deodorant of the time. Perfume was very costly. It was made from flowers and herbs. They would crush them up and put them in small bottles or flasks. And, and then they would keep those and they anoint the body. Naomi was basically telling Ruth that she needed to act like a bride preparing for a wedding. If you're going to approach him, and basically this is a marriage proposal. Ruth is proposing... What do they, they call that where the, the girl asks the guy, Sadie Hawkins dance? You remember, remember those Sadie Hawkins dance? The girl would ask the guy to the dance and that's the way you did it. Here, here, she's asking Boaz to marry her. This is an invitation. Uh, uh, this is an invitation to marriage. She's preparing as a bride for a wedding. You know, our life ought to exude that sweet fragrance of God. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2.15. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, and in them that are saved, and in them that perish. When we think about this fragrance anointing, we need to realize that it has a ceremonial meaning. It was used to show someone was set apart for a purpose. The psalmist talks about how that the oil ran down Aaron's beard, that that was part of that anointing. A setting apart of Aaron for the duty of for the duty of the high priesthood. Anointing would be done for specific purposes. Kings would be anointed. You remember Samuel, how did he come searching for a king among the sons of Jesse and went through all of them. Finally, David came and, and the Lord 
basically indicated this is the Lord's anointed. This is the next king of Israel. And what did he do? He anointed him. He, he, he poured that oil on David and to set him apart for that kingly duty that he would one time do. This anointing here, anoint thyself, it may indicate to us that setting apart. Being theirs. Being God's completely. Being completely surrendered to God. Being yielded to the Holy Spirit. This past week uh, was the anniversary of, of the message where Seth Joshua preached to a, a, a group of Methodist students in a hall there near in Wales. And, and Seth, uh, Seth, uh, uh, Seth Joshua culminated his message with this plea to God. Oh, bend us. There was a young man sitting in the congregation. A young teenage boy, 19 years old. An old coal miner, been working in the coal miners, and God got a hold of his heart. And, and there in that meeting, he said, Oh God, bend me. Evan Roberts was used to set the country of Wales on fire in 1904 by that simple, simple message of cleansing the heart of sin and being completely obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. Whatever the Holy Spirit of God would lead you to do, follow that. that yieldedness. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul gives us insight into that yielding to God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is saying, yield yourself, consecrate yourself. Sit down. I'm going. There was a, um, uh, there was a king in the Old Testament. And he's, he set himself to seek the Lord. Oh, what a, what a picture of this anointing. Set yourself to seek the Lord. Set yourself apart from, from this world. Let your goal be to walk with Him. Nothing more. Cleansing. Personal cleansing. Purposeful consecration. Also proper clothing. He, he said... Get the, uh, it said to wash therefore, anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee. Now, now Naomi's basically saying, hey, put your best garments on. I want you to look your best for Boaz. I mean, if you're, I still, I still got it in the closet. The shirt, the cool shirt I wore, I thought I was the coolest cat you can imagine. When I asked Carrie to marry me, still got it hanging in the closet. She won't let me wear it because it was not the coolest shirt you can wear. But I thought, man, as I, man, my coolest outfit, my coolest jeans. I was going to propose to her that outfit was perfect. I wanted to wear my best outfit. Here she said, hey, get something nice to put on. Maybe she had been wearing those work clothes when, when she came in. No doubt she came in with all those weed and, and telling Naomi what had taken place. And she said, girl, get them work clothes off. Put away them coveralls. Go in there and get you some nice garments. Something attractive to wear. And do this, what I'm fixing to tell you. Go, go uh, and, and uh, make the proposal to Boaz. But she's saying, put on something nice. You know this idea of Putting on is found time and time again in the New Testament. Put on. Put on consciously. Ephesians 4, 22 and 24. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, which is after God created in righteousness and true holiness. There's something about taking off something and putting something on. Here are the grave clothes, the grave clothes, Colossians 3, 8, 9. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Those are the grave clothes, now the grace clothes, Colossians continues, Colossians 3, 10 and 12. And have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of Him that created Him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness, mind, uh, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. 
There is that picture. What do we find in Ephesians uh, chapter number 6? Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Put on these things. We go through the Word of God. If we're going to have that, I think this is an illusion for us to dig down deep in God's Word. If you're going to draw close to the Lord Jesus, you need to dig down deep in this Word of God and find out what you need to put on. What you need to take off, what you need to put on. The self-preparation of nearness. This is essential. This has to happen. If we're going to go on with God, if we're going to draw nearer yet nearer, there's got to be some self-preparation. Now, second of all, notice the second principle, a single place of nearness. She said in verse number 3, she said, but make not thyself known unto the men. Oh, she said, and get thee down to the floor. Make not thyself known unto the men until he have, have done eating and drinking. He's pointing to a place. There's a place, Ruth. If there's anything, if you're going to have this marriage proposal, you can't do it here. You can't sit in the house and hope it's going to happen. You have to go to this place. You have to make this trip. Now, what is he talking about? In, uh, over the last several weeks, I've been preoccupied with this passage in Exodus 33 with Moses. And how, how he asked God. Remember that scene? He's, he's in the mouth. This is after the children of Israel had been found out in our idolatry. And, and the, the Baal idol was chopped up. And, and the people of God, God was about done with them. They said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be rid of them. I'm just going to start with you, Moses. And Moses intercedes for the people. He pleads with God. And he separates himself and, and begs God to not leave them, to continue to lead them into the promised land. And then as he continues to, to, uh, to inquire of God and to intercede for the people, he comes to the end of his tether and his nearness to God and says, Show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. God's response in Exodus 33, 21 is for God to say, basically, Moses, you can't see my glory. He said, but there is a place by me. There is a place. Moses, you want to see my glory. Moses, you want to get as close to me as you possibly can. Well, I want you to know I can't show you everything. I won't show you everything. But I want you to know, <laughs> there's a place. There's a place for you, Moses. It's in the cleft of the rock. It's on the rock. It's covered on all sides. There's no, nothing that can get to you there. There is a place by me. God tells us the same. There's a place. Naomi tells Ruth, there's a place. I know where he is. I know where he can be found. You need to go to that place. Ruth knew of this place. Notice, first of all, we see a, a meaningful premises. Verse number 7. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. and She came softly and uncovered his feet and lay her down. All this takes place at the threshing floor. We notice that from verse number 2. You go down to the the threshing floor, that's where he is. You know, it's interesting to note that the threshing floor is a significant place in the Bible. It, it served as a very specific location for the making of bread or the, the essentials of bread. In the field, they would cut the barley or the wheat down. Then they would take it to the threshing floor. And at the threshing floor, they would beat... The grain. They would they make sure that the threshing floor was a, a wide round area, probably about 25 to 30 feet in diameter with a, with a rock floor that's, that's sealed with some kind of cement. There would be no mouse holes. There would be no ant hills anywhere. This is a clean place for them to, uh, to, to thresh the wheat. They would take that wheat, those wheat stalks, and they would back them on the ground there and and, uh, and, and, and what those do is those kernels would come off the stalks and they would cast the stalks outside and then they would scoop up 
scoop up that wheat that was there and, and the, the, the wheat had a, had a husk on the outside. The kernel was actually what would make the bread, but there was a husk on the outside. And so they would scoop that up and they would, they would throw it up like on a blanket. They would throw it up in the air and, uh, and the wind would catch those little pieces of chaff and blow them away and the hard kernels of, of wheat would fall down. And it was a place of crushing. It was a place of breaking. It was a place of labor and, and work. It was also a place of judgment. The threshing floor was a place of judgment in which these wheat was, were burst. They were broken. They were, they were brought to a point of making the kernel of the bread to be ground in flour. But also, the threshing floor served as a place of judgment. In the book of 1 Chronicles, I think it's 1 Chronicles chapter number 21, David sinned against the Lord. This is many years later after Bathsheba. David sinned against the Lord by numbering and counting the people. And, and the story went is how that God gave, he sent, he sent a messenger, his servant, to tell David that he had the choice of three judgments. He had the choice of, of uh, three different judgments. Pestilence in the land, uh, enemies in the, uh, to come and take over the land, these different judgments. And David, David asks for a pestilence that maybe God's hand would be merciful. And uh, the, the imagery in the chapter seems to show that all throughout the land, the angel of death made its way through and, and killed by pestilence thousands of men. And men were dying until David came to the threshing floor of Aroni, the Jebusite. And at that place, David was going to make special offering to God to, to stop this pestilence. And it, it, it said that at the threshing floor of Aroni, that the angel of death sheathed its sword and stopped there in that place. David then went to buy that threshing floor from Aroni, the Jebusite. And, and Aroni said, no, I'll just give it to you, King David. David said, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. And he paid full price for the oxen and, and the, all of the land and the threshing floor and the oxen and everything there. He paid him full price. And then he made sacrifice to God and thanked him that the judgment hand of God was stayed at that place. Do you know what the threshing floor of Aroni became? The site of the Temple Mount. Exactly where God built His temple. Right there where the angel of God sheathed His sword of judgment. It was a place of atonement. It was a place of judgment. For us, does not, that not speak of Calvary? The work of Jesus on the cross is the basis of our individual union with Christ and our intimate communion with Christ. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work there on the cross of Calvary. Jesus did the will of the Father. He drank the bitter cup of sin. He suffered as a lamb led to the, led to the slaughter. He was born he there. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows at the cross. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and with His stripes we are healed. Is is there a special place that we need to run to to find nearer to God, nearer to Thee? Oh yes, it's at the cross of Calvary where the blood ran red for our redemption. It is at that place, that threshing floor of the judgment of God that we're to run to. Nearness of the old Puritan said never get more than 24 hours away from the cross of Calvary. Where should we run to to find Him? Run to the cross. A meaningful premises. Also, we find a marked presence. Naomi, Naomi said, now, when you get there, they're going to be like a celebration. It's at the end of the day. Long day of work, a great harvest to come in. They would prepare a meal, almost like a mini celebration. And, and Boaz would be there drinking the wine that was there and, and eating of the food and the fellowship and all of his workers with him and said that Boaz went to lay down at the end of the wheat. That, 
that was a significant thing. It was to keep from robbers coming. It was unbagged. It was just piles and piles of weed. It was vulnerable for the taking. And so the workers would lay down and sleep near it to make sure nobody took what was theirs. And so Naomi told Ruth, when you go down there, keep your eyes on Boaz. And when you see where he lays down, mark that place. Mark it. Don't lose sight of it because it's going to get dark, man. It's going to get dark, Ruth. It's going to get dark. And so you're going to come to him in the dark. And so you need to mark where he is. You need to mark where you can find him when the darkness comes. Know that place where you can draw nigh to him. Have it visually in your mind. Have it imprinted upon your heart. Don't lose sight of where he is. So should we mark the place where Jesus took the judgment of God on our behalf. Mark the crown of thorns. Mark the spear in his side. The nails in his feet and hands. Mark the empty tomb where the disciples ducked in and looked with awe and an amazement at what had taken place. Mark the angels at the tomb. Mark the the appearance of the Lord Jesus where He tells Thomas, stick thy finger into my hands and into my side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God, mark the resurrection. Mark the living Christ. Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is more than a historical event. It is a personal experience. It should continually capture our hearts and control our will, consume our thoughts, and check our walk. Paul's, uh, Paul, his, Paul's pursuit was not to write theological books was not to build churches, was not to mentor leaders. And that's not to say that he didn't do those things, that those things weren't important. But for Paul, the all-consuming important thing, his chief aim was written in the Philippian letter, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. Paul said, these things are the byproduct of knowing him is the prime product. The prime product, not the byproduct. Should we serve the Lord? Absolutely. Should we do our best to witness and to share and to give and to go and to to do all that has been taught to us in the New Testament? Absolutely. But not at the expense of the prime product of knowing Jesus. Isaac Watts said it best when I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died my richest gain I count as loss and pour contempt on all my pride keep a vision for that place that all important place a single place of nearness the cross the resurrection tomb thirdly and lastly a specific posture to nearness you know, when you read this scene from our 21st century vantage point, in our sense in which we tried to put into the text things that it does not say, we can oftentimes come away from reading this, 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 this passage and it almost seemed racy in our hearing. But I want to assure you that there is nothing untoward going on When Ruth came to Boaz by night. Everything that is taking place here was happening in accordance with Jewish custom. She is claiming Boaz as her kinsman redeemer. In accordance with the revelation of God in the book of Deuteronomy. She is laying hold of her right. She has a right. To the closest possible relationship that she could have. I wonder, how close to the Lord do you really want to be? I've heard it said over and over. One of my favorite preachers, Joe Arthur, talks about a young experience where I had this woman that, uh, woman that came down from the choir just glowing with the presence of God during worship and she grabbed both sides of his face and said, son, you can have just as much of God as you want. 
it's so true. The psalmist says, open thy mouth wide and I'll fill it. The invitation is there. Draw nigh. I'll draw nigh to you when you draw nigh to me. There's a place. God said to Moses, there's a place. Mary, there's a place. Mary found that place at the feet of Jesus even when rebuked by her sister. Jesus would not deny her that place near him. John found that place sitting at that final supper when he laid his head on Jesus' bosom and heard the heartbeat of heaven. Paul found that place in a prison cell where God said, I'm with you, Paul. I'm with you in this place. There's a place where you are welcome. Because of the cross of Calvary, we are welcome to come as near to Him as we possibly can. First of all, it's a permission to approach. A permission to approach. Chapter 2, verse 1. She was permitted to come to the field. And that field that was owned by Boaz. 2 and verse 20. She found out that God, there is a near kinsman that's available. And then in 3, 2, there's a welcome Permission to come. He's a kinsman redeemer. We can come. We can not only come to the field of salvation and the field of God's grace, but we can come ever nearer and nearer to Him. We can come closer and closer. We have have not closely detailed the position now of the kinsman redeemer. Now this right is something that in the lineage was about family and land. Both together. Elimelech's land, whether we're not told whether it was sold off or whatever, Elimelech's land was to be given priority to be sold to people in that family, like a kinsman redeemer, like Boaz or, or some other character. Remember, Boaz talks about another character that's near to kin. They would get priority in buying this land to keep it in the family. And the same is true. With the family, with the widow of that family who had not had a male heir, not had a male child, that person was to be married to the next of kin, the kinsman redeemer. He was to buy her back, take possession of her, and bear children in the name of his brother that his life that his lineage may not be cut off. Strange to our 21st century ear, but proper, lawful by the Word of God. And so this is the the situation here. Ruth had permission by the law of Moses to claim Boaz as her kinsman redeemer. She didn't want to settle for just gleanings of grace and handfuls of purpose. She wanted him completely. I think about the book of Judges. There's a story about Othniel. Othniel was the nephew of Caleb. You remember Caleb? Caleb was promised that mountain. I want that mountain. Well, by the time he gets there, he's an old man. And so he can't take that mountain by himself. And so he says, hey, I will... I will give my daughter Axa to wife to any person who will take that mountain from me and rid it of the enemies of the Canaanites. Othniel said, Ah, oh, my cousin. I love my cousin. That's the way it was. It was they, were fam- they were a family related. They were related by family. Othniel could see Axa anytime he wanted to, but that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. He wanted her to wife. He wanted her closer. He wanted her every day. He wanted to be with her as as it would be in matrimony. Here we see that yearning for more. Yearning for more in that relationship. We have the same permission to come and claim Jesus Christ wholly and completely as ours. We can come and bow down to Him and surrender our all to Him as Ruth come and surrendered all to Him. Take me as your wife. She didn't barge in. Notice her, her, this is her posture. She didn't barge in with a hand on the hip and say, uh-huh, you owe me. 
You're my kinsman redeemer. You need to get on this and you need to claim me. That's not, could have been a right. I don't know. I don't know if she snapped finger kind of thing, hand on the hip. But that's not what she did. What did she do? She came quietly. She lay humbly at his feet. Waited for him. She uncovered his feet. That's just, you know, some people, I sleep with my feet out. I don't know. But, but some people, if you uncover their feet in the night, they're going to wake up. I think that was the intent. To, him to wake up sometime in the night. She didn't want to wake him herself. But she wanted him to wake up. And so he wakes up and finds her lowly, humbly at his feet. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. James 4, when He said, draw not to me, uh, draw not to me and I'll draw not to you, cleanse your hands, He said, listen to what He said in James 4, 6, in the same context, but He giveth more grace, wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is nigh to them that have a broken uh, heart and saveth such be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou not, will not despise. There's a permission to come to Him, but we don't come to Him barging in with the expectation of commanding our Lord. We come to Him sincerely pleading and begging for Him to draw us in. Bring your needy heart to Jesus. Bring your needy heart and claim that nearer condition, that nearer position to Him. There's a permission to approach and then there's also a promise of affection. Promise of affection. Boaz did wake up. Scared him to death. What have I done? What happened in the night? Ruth says, no, no, no. It's me, Ruth. You're my kinsman redeemer. There's a relationship already, but you need to lay claim to it. I want you to lay claim to it. I want to be close to you. Ruth may have been unaware. Listen what his response was in verse number 10. Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. No, but, no verse number 12. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. She may not have known it, but there was somebody closer. It seems to indicate that maybe, maybe in verse number 10, Boaz was a little bit older than her. I'm not sure what the age gap is or whatever, but it may have been that he was a little bit older. Yet she approaches him. He had shown kindness and grace and welcome in his field of grace. And now she approaches him even further. There may have been some that were better looking, younger, different statuses of wealth. He just didn't run. Listen to this. Boaz just didn't run up to her and say in that first day, Hey girl, I'm your kinsman redeemer. We need to get together sometime. We need to talk about this. He didn't do that. He let her cheat. He stood off. He knew right well. He knew right well that he was the kinsman redeemer. It's not a shock to him. He knew when she, he knew that that was the, the widow of Naomi, uh, Naomi's son. He knew that he was the kinsman redeemer. But he didn't force himself. He didn't lord over it. He didn't, he didn't make the connection suddenly visible in ordering her for this. He wanted her to choose him. There's so much in that statement. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Why did God, why did God plant a tree of good and evil? Because He wanted them to choose Him. He wanted them to prefer Him. Our Lord Jesus is in the same character as Boaz. He will never force Himself onto your life. He will bring about circumstances that may drive you to Him, but He will never force Himself into your affections. He must be sought after by you. What does the Old Testament say time and time? If you seek me with all your heart, if you search for me, you will find me. I will be found by you. 
you got to search for him. You can't just sit in your living room with your sneakers on. You've got to search for him. You've got to crack that Bible. You've got to put on and, and, and put off certain things and put on certain things and, and yield yourself to Him and cleanse yourself from things that you can cleanse yourself from. Be done with it. He'll never force Himself onto you. In the quietness of the night, Ruth asks for her kinsman redeemer to spread his skirt over her. There's nothing untoward about that. It meant to take the long garment of his wearing and lay it on top of her as a husband would a wife. Claim me. Choose me. Take me as your own. It was to lay special claim. And in doing so, in doing so that night, he basically says yes. It was a marriage prayer. He said yes to her proposal. And then he gave her his promise. Ruth requested her privilege and she received a promise. I'll do this. I will do this. There is one near kin. If he chooses you, so be it. You will be cared for. You'll be taken. But if not, I'll do it. We're going to sort through that next time. Next time, over, over the next few weeks, we'll sort through all that transaction. But right now, he gives her a promise. If he won't, I will. I'll take you. He gave her his promise. Ruth requested a privilege she received a promise. You know, we have the same promise. The same promise of our Lord Jesus. He's not going to kick the door down in your life and invite Himself in. What did He say to the Laodicean church? The church that was so full of the world that they couldn't see their own condition, their own poverty before God. What did Jesus say to them? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. We have the same invitation. We have the same opportunity to let Jesus in. To welcome Him into our lives. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If any man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and I will come unto him, and I will make my abode with him. It's a close relationship. It's promised. Jesus said He would do it. Jesus welcomes it. Our Lord Jesus waits in the threshing floor of His finished work for you to claim that close walk with Him. For that drawing nearer and nearer. The question is, will you come? Granted, there are preparations that need to be made. But why not today? Why not today draw a line in the sand and say, I will come after you. I will seek you. I want to be close to you. I want to have the kiss of heaven on my life in my daily walk. I want my eyes fixed upon your loveliness and to hope in nothing but you. You're welcome to it if you'll come. Nearer, still nearer, nothing I bring. Not as an offering to Jesus my King. Only my sinful, now contrite heart grant me the cleansing. Thy blood doth impart. Nearer, still nearer. Lord, to be, to be thine. Sin with its follies I gladly resign. All of its pleasures, pomp and its pride. Give me but Jesus, my Lord crucified. Nearer, still nearer. While life shall last. Till safe in glory my anchor is cast. Through endless ages ever to be. Nearer, still nearer, my Lord. Unto thee. These lines are for you. They're just not for this housewife of a Methodist home that had an unusual experience. It's for all of us. Nearer to Jesus. Nearer to Him. A closer, more intimate walk is not just for the preacher, the pastor, the evangelist, the missionary. It's for the mom, the dad, the wife, the husband, the grandmother, the grandfather, the son, and the daughter. Draw near to Him. Draw near to Jesus. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. God, there are so many places in this message where my own heart was chastened. I have a welcome invitation to come to the threshing floor Shielded by His, your grace from judgment. 
for that judgment befell you. And I have welcome to come neath your arm, lay my head on your breast, and to know you, to hear the breath of heaven, to hear the heartbeat of eternity, to draw near to you, to have this world pale in comparison with all of its with all of its trinkets and baubles and things that distract, I can come and fix my eyes on the eternal Christ and know you, know you more and more. Inexhaustible presence. God, I pray you would give us eyes for you. That we would rush in, come to your presence, unloading ourselves of that which should be taken off sacrificing ourselves, yielding ourselves to You. God, taking the hatchet of God's Word and cutting away everything that doesn't need to be there. God, help us to draw nearer to You. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Page number 362. I am Thine, O Lord. Its words draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord. No doubt from our central hymn. Let's sing this hymn together. As God deals with your heart, if God's spoken to your heart today, ask God to grant these things in your life. Let's sing. I am thine, O Lord. I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith, and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died draw me nearer 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 blessed lord to thy precious bleeding side consecrate me now to thy service lord by the power of grace divine let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and I will be lost in thy draw me nearer 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 blessed Lord to the cross where thou hast died draw me nearer 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 blessed Lord to thy precious bleeding side I commune as friend with friend. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to Thy precious bleeding side. I hope to God we would all press in, press in to that relationship we have with the Lord Jesus. So many burdens we care so needlessly because we simply will not push into Him, draw near to Him. Uh, don't forget about Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, be in prayer for Jackie and these others that were mentioned earlier. Pray for that family, the loved one that died, the one that's in rehab, not doing well. Let's be in prayer for these. Pray for Jackie and them as they come back and his mother and her physical condition continuing to make progress there. But let's be in prayer for them. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you and to seek your face in prayer. God, we do that for Jackie and his family. God, see them safely home. We do that for these uh, family that lost a dear loved one. God, we pray you would invade that family with the gospel. Also for this one that's in physical therapy, so desperate in need of your touch. Father, we pray that you would help them that you would undergird them, that you would 
show yourself strong on, on their behalf. But Father, we pray that we would take this message to heart, that it would, it would, it would lodge deep within us, that this coming weeks, the days to come, we would press in to that relationship. Go to the place, Mark, where we can find you. Go to you and be close to you. God, we pray that you would give us your manifest presence, the delight of the glory of God in our lives. God, I pray you'd see us back safely at our next appointed time for worship. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, don't forget our Bible study, all right?